Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. Scripture reading this morning will be taken from Proverbs chapter 8, verses 12 through 21. Proverbs 8, 12 through 21. I'll be reading from the New King James Translation. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. By me, kings reign, and rulers decree justice. By me, princes rule, and nobles, all the judges of the earth. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, yes, than fine gold, and my revenue than choice silver. I traverse the way of righteousness in the midst of the paths of justice, that I may cause those who love me to inherit wealth, that I may fill their treasuries. Our lesson today actually comes from the book of Proverbs, and so get a Bible, and I would encourage you to leave it open there at chapter 8, Proverbs chapter 8. I'll meet you there in just a couple of minutes. So good to see you here today. Here's what I want to do in this sermon. Let me give you kind of a synopsis of it, and then we'll go through it. I want to begin by giving you five uh, preliminary principles or things about the book of Proverbs, and then I want to go to wisdom. Proverbs is essentially about wisdom, and James did a terrific job slowly and deliberately reading that passage from chapter 8. I'm going to come back to it in, in just a bit. So let's get started. Number one. Proverbs is part of the wisdom literature of the Bible. Now, wisdom literature is, and that's what we call it, is found in the five books, five different books of the Old Testament. So, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. These are not like law. And when we read Proverbs today, and I'm going to read a number of passages from the book of Proverbs, it's not like law. It's not like rules that Moses is giving to, to put down for us like you'd find in Leviticus or Deuteronomy. It's not like that, and it's not history of Israel. This, this, is, uh, this is really the application of the principles of the law. And preaching, you know, is, is a fascination to me. I love preaching. And, and you know, sometimes I'll talk about how that sermons are divided into two different categories. You can have expository preaching, where you take a passage of Scripture and you just go verse by verse or word by word. Or you can, or you can have a topical lesson, and that's what I'm having today. I've got a topic, and I'm going to talk about a lot of passages spread out. But you can divide preaching also in a couple of different categories, different from that. You can talk about how that some of it is textual, and some of it is application. It's not uncommon for people hearing preaching to say, I appreciate the, the biblical text. I appreciate you raising those verses. But what is most beneficial to me after that, because I'm familiar with those passages, is, is the application, how we apply it to our lives. Hold that thought. That's the book of Proverbs. 
The book of Proverbs is wisdom literature. It is about wisdom. And if you want to say it a different way, it's about taking the principles of the law of Moses and applying them to lives. You say, well, yeah, but this is Old Testament and we're not bound by the Old Testament law. We're in the New Testament. That's true. But remember that Paul said these things are written for our learning. Oh, the, the book of Proverbs is a wealth of information. Now, the way that it's written, and you probably already know this, is that you have small sentences, snippets, small bits of information. I was talking to Ray last night, and he said, what are you preaching in the morning? And I said, I'm talking about Proverbs. And he said, he liked Proverbs, but it's a difficult read. Well, it is because you can't read the book of Proverbs as you do other books of the Bible. It'll just be frustrating. Proverbs is chocked full of, of one sentence statements, principles. The way to read the book of Proverbs, now it's not all that, of course. You have some that are longer things. You have chapters that have some longer bits in them like hmm, chapter 31, who can find the virtuous woman, and you have those descriptions, or chapter 5, and you have stay away from evil women, or you have, uh, well, other passages, chapter 23 about alcohol, and it's long. But much of it is in just one sentence, principles. The way that I would suggest people study Proverbs when they go through these and they come to those one-sentence statements is just to read one. Maybe write it down and let it live with you for the rest of the day. Just don't come back to the, to the book. Just hold on to that one for one day and apply it to your life. What are the ways this is applicable? What's the, what's the meaning of this in life? Because that's what the book of Proverbs is really about. So the first preliminary thing is that this is wisdom literature. Now, number two, often these are in general principles and not specific, always binding laws. I mean by that this. You take Proverbs 14 and verse 34, for example. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to all people. Now, hold on to that. That's that's a broad principle. I mean, you know, there isn't any such thing as one nation that is completely righteous, is there? But it's a principle that says to the the degree that a nation and her leaders follow righteousness, God's going to bless that. Things are going to go better in a country when they follow the basic principles of God. Is that a true statement? Ah, but it's, it's the flip side is also true. The degree to which a nation practices evil, I mean, it's going to bring ruin. And are we seeing that today or what? And people are marching. It's just like, it's, it's, it's just surreal to think about that people right now are marching the streets of our major cities to defend a mama's right to kill her baby. Are you, are you ready for that? Now, how do you explain that? And the answer is that Righteousness exalts a nation, but a sin is a reproach. And sin, when, it's, when it grows in a nation like that, it's going to bring ruin. It will always bring ruin. So sometimes the Proverbs have general principles. Proverb 22 and verse 6 is familiar to you. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's a general principle. It's not a hard, fast law. If it were a hard, fast law, it would mean that, that if you have righteous parents, you can't fall from grace. You couldn't. You couldn't lose, you couldn't live in such a way as to leave God if you had righteous parents. But we know from experience that's not true. We know some wonderful, righteous, godly parents and their children go astray. We also know some, some parents that are not righteous, that live away from God, and their children grow up and exposure to other influences, and they're righteous, they're faithful Christians. But 
The principle still holds true. And the principle is, as a general rule, if you want to raise your kids and you want to look forward to them raising their children, your grandchildren to be faithful Christians, what you better do in these these years, these early years, is train your children in the Lord. Bring them up in the Lord. And as a result, as a general principle, that's your best chance at them being faithful Christians. Here's principle or preliminary principle number three is that anybody can be wise because of this. Now, it's, it's interesting that the, the way that the world judges wisdom is different from the Bible way. You've got to get that. It's always going to be different. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 talks about this and contrasts the world's wisdom with God's wisdom, and they're different. But you look at the world's wisdom, and who is it that, the, that we consider to be the wise ones? Well, you'd say, I suppose, the wisest people in our society would be those who go to the Ivy League schools, maybe. They, this, this fellow's got a PhD from Princeton, or from Oxford, or from Harvard. And, and he, oh, this man teaches at Yale. He's of the, the group of the most wise in our culture. The fact, the fact is that he may be the most foolish of our whole society. And very often that's the case. Academia can't boast of a lot of wisdom these days, can it? When you talk about biblical wisdom, and the book of Proverbs is about that, of course. A man may push a broom for a living and be one of the wisest men around. Is that a true statement? You talk about the men from whom we choose our elders, the shepherds for the church. Who do you choose for that? And you say, well, we need people who, who know how to handle finances, who are wealthy people. Hold on a minute. That's not how the book reads. First Timothy chapter 3 has the qualifications. I'm telling you, that's not in there. He needs to be highly educated. He needs to, have, he needs to be highly degreed. That's not in there. The kinds of things that are in there, the wisdom that we need is there, but it's not, it's not according to world standards. And when you think about the book of Proverbs, it's kind of exciting to think about that anybody who can study the Word of God wise. Oh, we'll talk about more about that in just a couple of minutes. Um, Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 9 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Ready for that? Let's just let that go into your soul. Define it in your soul. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Right. That's right. Now here's number four. And this may be interesting to you as you study Proverbs. I hope that after this sermon, you'll want to spend some time with Proverbs in your daily Bible reading and maybe pick this up um, every day as I was talking about for a few months. It'd be a wonderful study. But they're written, written uh, these one sentence Proverbs are written in parallelism. So you have two halves to most of these sentences. And, and let's walk through these. Look at this slide. You have the contrasted proverb. A merry heart does good like medicine. And contrasted has the word but typically in it. But a broken spirit dries the bones, Proverbs 17, 22. It's a contrast. You get the lesson because of the contrast. Then you have the completive, completive proverb. Here's Proverbs 16 and verse 3. Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. And then comparative, where one thought extends the last. Better is a little with righteousness than vast revenues without justice. Is that a true statement? Is there profundity to that? I'm telling you, that's a terrific example of the point that we just take these. We've got to take these and ponder them. It'd be great to take a piece of paper and write, write the proverb and beneath it write all the ways I can think that this is applicable to the world in which I live right now. All right, here's number five. 
preliminary things is that the book of Proverbs is about wisdom. It is about wisdom and gaining wisdom. Now, this is Proverbs chapter 8. And, and again, James read a little bit of it a while ago. I'm going to start in verse 1. In chapter 8, you have wisdom personified as a woman. She is, is a, the person, and she represents wisdom. It's not a literal person. Does not wisdom cry out and understanding lift up her voice? She takes her stand on the top of a high hill. Beside the way where the paths meet, she cries out by the gates at the entry of the city, at the entrance of the doors. To you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men, O ye simple ones. The Hebrew word is naive. O you naive ones, understand prudence, and you fools, be of an understanding heart. Listen, for I will speak of excellent things, and from the opening of my lips will come right things. For my mouth will speak truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are with righteousness. Nothing crooked or perverse is in them. They're all plain to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Receive my instruction and not silver. And acknowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies. And all the things one may desire cannot be compared with her. Now, when you start defining wisdom you'll find that it's pretty difficult to do. Could you put a definition to wisdom? If you say, well, wisdom is synonymous with knowledge, of course that's not true because a lot of people have a great deal of knowledge but are very foolish people. It's not just knowledge. It has to do more. It's the application of that knowledge. This, This week in preparing this sermon... I came across this definition of wisdom. Now, take a look at this. And I, I'm going to put it out there because it is so terribly complicated. It illustrates the point that this is not easy. The greatest human wisdom, by the way, I agree with this. I think this is a good definition. It's just complicated. The greatest human wisdom is the factual knowledge and the situational insight and the necessary resolve that together has the greatest likelihood of attaining to the int- intended righteous goal. So could you say that back to me? Well, probably not. That's pretty tough. Now, if you've been around me for very long, you know that I have my own personal definition of wisdom, and I've mentioned it to you a number of times. But, but here it is, and it's much simpler. I still think it's a good definition. Uh, wisdom is the ability to see how a particular course of action will ultimately turn out. That's what we mean when we commonly, typically use the word wisdom. Now, The book of Proverbs would have me to attach one more thing to it. I kind of think it's implied, but there is no wise man who doesn't yield to God. Wisdom doesn't exist where people reject God. And so that needs to be understood in this definition of wisdom. All right. In the book of Proverbs, you have three amazing qualities of wisdom. And that's where I want to go for the rest of this sermon. Three amazing, profound qualities of wisdom that that is portrayed in the book of wisdom, which is Proverbs. Now, here's number one. It promises a good life. Wisdom promises a good life. Now, I think that's interesting because I don't think that's how we typically think. What, what do we think about when we think about a good life or a happy life, a satisfying life? I think that we typically would think about more external things. 
I doubt that very often we associate wisdom with being happy and satisfied in life. That's exactly what this teaches. Now, I want to go to Proverbs chapter 3, but I want to do this first. Here's here's 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. Now, this sounds a lot like this to me. He who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from the evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against him who does evil. Now get it from the book of Proverbs. I'm in chapter 3 now. Proverbs 3, I'm going to start in verse 13. The point is that, that the writer of Proverbs is saying, if you want to have a good life, pursue wisdom. Pursue wisdom. This is chapter 3, verse 13. Happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For her proceeds are better than the profits of silver and her gain than fine gold. She's more precious than rubies and all the things you may desire cannot compare with her with wisdom. Length of days is in her right hand. In her left hand, riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She's a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who retain her. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the depths were broken up, and clouds dropped down dew. My son, let them not depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. So, that, so they will be a life to your soul and grace to your neck. Then you will walk safely in your way and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you'll not be afraid. Yes, you will lie down and your, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror nor trouble from the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Chapter 19 verse 8 says, He who gets wisdom loves his own soul. All right. This is about wisdom. Now, here... Here's number two. Not only does it promise a good life, it has this realistic approach to our problems. Now, I'm going to show you some illustrations of this, but but the point is that when you go to Amazon or you go to Books a Million and you buy books about broken spirit, about I need need help with uh, the problems I'm facing in my life, the struggles I'm going through, I'm telling you they have nothing there on that shelf that compares to the book of Proverbs. Because it's so complex, it's so nuanced, it, because it addresses so many different circumstances and it understands our problems. It understands with wisdom what we face in this human experience. So let's, let's do this. The first thing is that our problems, our, our greatest problem isn't about physical issues. It's not about physically being sick. It's about an anguished heart. I just want you to think about that because that doesn't seem right. At the beginning, what we think, I think, most commonly is, and maybe we're just drowning in this, that, that in life, being able to get through and be satisfied in life and have a good life surely is mostly tied to our outward circumstances. That's not how Proverbs represents it. Nah, no, that's not right. I mean, you know, it's it, our circumstance. It's about whether I'm sick or I'm healthy. It's about whether I'm in good shape or I'm in poor shape, whether I'm good-looking or not so good-looking, and whether or not the people around me are supportive of me, and it goes on and on and on. 
whether or not I have enough money or I feel like I have enough things. That, that's how we decide whether or not mm, I'm happy, I'm satisfied in life. And the Proverbs writer says, nope, that's not it. It's, it's inside of you. What's on your insides is a greater determining factor about the satisfaction of life by far than what's on your externals, what's on your outsides. Here's chapter 14 and verse 30. Listen to this. A sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. Chapter 14, verse 30. It's on the inside. The spirit of a man will sustain him in sickness, but who can bear a broken spirit? 18, verse 14. In other words, you you, you think that a person who's sick can still sustain the satisfaction of life? And I, I, well, you know, use outside circumstances certainly influence what's going on on our insides, but Carol Dodd taught us before she passed away about this principle right here in 1814. The spirit of a man will sustain him in sickness. In other words, what's going on on the inside is bigger. It's more important. It's more relevant in a broken, about a broken spirit, about a broken heart. This is more relevant. What's going on the inside? But who can bear a broken spirit? All right. It's not physical sickness, but anguish of the heart. It's not our external circumstances. It's what's on the inside. And Proverbs understands the nature of our anguish when we're going through it. Now, let me show you some aspects that Proverbs gives us about understanding what goes on inside of us and the struggles in the human life. Here's the first one. Sometimes our our anguish has a physical aspect to it. And so chapter chapter 3 that I read a while ago says, when you lie down, verse 24, you will not be afraid. Yes, you will lie down and your sleep will be sweet. You have a troubled mind and it, it affects your sleep. And that's very bad because biologically, you've got to have sleep. You can't go long without sleep. I had a friend call me a couple of months ago. He's a gospel preacher and he was very discouraged. He was just about, frankly, to throw in the towel. The, the work he was involved in was, was, being, it was pressing down so hard on him and he he was just kind of losing it. I don't mean that in a bad way. It was just, he was just ready to, to give up and uh, do something else. And I said, I talked to him about it. Look, the, the, the work that you're involved in right now does not define you. Who you are as a gospel preacher. Who you are as a man of God studying and teaching people the word of God. That's very important. What you're doing is important. And then I said, what, you, what I want you to do is to I want you and your wife to get away for some rest. You've got to find rest. Take two weeks. It can't just be one week. You need to take two weeks. It's because, you know, you've, you've taken a vacation before, and the first week is really great, but, of course, you get about four days into it before you really feel like you're resting. I want you to take two weeks, not, not you, him. I want you to take, no, no, you don't, you don't have the time. I, I know that. But uh, I want you to take two weeks, and, and I'll help you find a place where you can afford it, you know, we can find you a place that doesn't cost you anything, and, and this is something that you should do. Now, I'm not such a smart guy, but so they did it. I mean, I didn't know what he would do with that advice, but he called me last week, and I'm telling you, it was a different man. It was a different person, and the answer was that he and his wife did go off, and they, they reevaluated, and they slept, and they rested, and they got away from the problems for a little while, and when they came out of that, I mean, he, he can't wait. He's got a new work, preaching different place, but he's going to be preaching. He just can't wait to get busy to it. He wants to do this. Proverbs recognizes that sort of thing. Troubled mind may have a physical aspect to it, 
Here's chapter 12, verse 25. Anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression, but a good work makes it glad. I think that's interesting too. See, it's a physical aspect to what's going on in our insides. It's our anguish inside of us. It's not just external things. But what he says here is that a good word can help you a lot. Now, look at you. Look at you and me. Here we are in this assembly. We're in this worship assembly. We're worshiping our God. Didn't you need worship this morning? Don't we need to worship our God? We need to pray to Him. We need to sing to Him. But we need to do it with other people. That's how God set it up. This COVID thing was so very dangerous to the church because... There was a period when we didn't assemble. We just just didn't feel that we could assemble with the risk going on. But I'm telling you, that's no good. We've got to assemble. We need one another, don't we? I, I need to sing with you. I need to sit with Christians who love Jesus like I love Jesus. And they want to sing. And we, I need to pray with you. I need to study the Word of God with you. Proverbs writer understands that. Now, the second aspect of a troubled mind that Proverbs recognize. Sometimes it has a moral aspect. Now get this one. This is 28 verse 1. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as, as a lion. You ever, ever have a guilty conscience? You want to talk about torment on your insides? Proverbs says this is bigger. This is bigger than your external circumstances because it's on your insides. And when you talk about wisdom, wisdom is what helps you with this. Take wisdom, he says. Take wisdom. Get your perspective from God. You, you have a guilty conscience. It may be that you really are guilty of something, and people around you don't know it, but you know it, and you have to live with it, and it chews at you. Or maybe it is that you weren't guilty at all, but you feel guilty. Did you ever do that? And it just eats at you. Now, it may have a moral aspect. It may have a physical aspect. It may have a moral aspect. It may, here's the third one, have an existential aspect. And by that, I'm talking about just the fact that life is not forever. And maybe if you're not satisfied with things the way they are right now with you and, and all of that, then you're, you're, you're dealing with this deadline that, that, that is that you can't live on this earth forever. This life is, has a time frame attached to it. And it's not just that. It's just that there are some realities that are pretty hard. What we're doing right now is living in this life, but it's not going to last forever, right? That's just the truth. And, and if you dwell on this a lot, it's going to be kind of hard. And this, this verse, 14, 13 says, Even in laughter the heart may, be, may sorrow, and the end of mirth may be grief. Take a family sitting having supper together and laughing and enjoying a meal. The truth is that one of them is going to see the others dead. One of them will live longer than the rest. And you can think like that. And what happens is the anguish of the soul can, can really do something to you, and, and the Proverbs writer recognizes this. The quality of this book of Proverbs is that it promises a good life. That number two, it's realistic about our problems. It understands our problems. And then number three, it speaks plainly about the consequences of our sins. Now, this is a big deal. I mean, and I, could, I could take a number of illustrations of this from the book of Proverbs, and I'm not going to do it. I just want to give you a, a taste of this. Uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't dance around guilt, and, and sometimes the anguish that we feel is because of our own guilt, and, and he, he is very pointed. You want to talk about wisdom? Wisdom is to tell the truth, not just about other people, but about ourselves. We've got to tell the truth. 
Who, here's uh, Proverbs 23, verse 29. This one happens to be talking about alcohol, beverage alcohol, drinking. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long at the wine, those who go in search of mixed wine. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things. Your heart will utter perverse things. Yes, you'll be like the one who lies down in the midst of the sea or like one who lies at the top of the mast saying, they have struck me, but I was not hurt. They've beaten me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake that I may seek another drink? Mm. I tell you what, there's no ambiguity about that. He got right to the point. He The book of Proverbs is profound because it promises a good life. It deals realistically with our problems, but also it speaks very plainly about the consequence of sin. Now, here's chapter 6, verse 23. This is about about sexuality. For the commandment is a lamp and the law a light. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life to keep you from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of a seductress. Do not lust after her beauty in your heart, nor let her allure, let her allure you with her eyelids. For by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread, and an adulteress will prey upon the precious life. Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her shall not be innocent. What? I told you, it's a book about, about wisdom. It's about wisdom of life. And so he doesn't, doesn't dance around the real consequences of bad choices. He says it plainly because you can't be wise without that. You're just going to keep on making bad mistakes. And we need this wisdom. The book of Proverbs is profound for these reasons. It is, it is mostly written in short sentences of great profundity. It isn't the law, and it isn't uh, Israeli or Israelite history. What it is is the application of the law, like sermons should have. It, it, is, it is to apply it. It is to say, here are the principles, and here are specifics about you can handle it, how you can handle those things. Now, I, I want to end this sermon this way. Does anybody know you better than you? I, th- I kind of think my wife would say she knows me better than me. And she may. I don't know. But here's what, here's what Proverbs says about this. Let, let's go to the next slide. Proverbs 14.10, the heart knows its own bitterness, and a stranger does not share its joy. That is to say that, that a stranger, a person who looks at me, doesn't know me. And, and uh, you, you don't know. You know you, uh, 1 Peter chapter 3 talks about the hidden man of the heart. And you know yourself because you know your insides. You know you from a different perspective than anybody else, right? But I don't want to leave you there. That's, everybody in this room gets that. But I'm going to close this by saying God knows you better than you. And so here's the next one. Chapter 16, verse 2. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. You have a God who has who has wisdom beyond anything you'll ever know or see. And wisdom is the ability to see how a particular course of action will ultimately turn out. And he shares his wisdom with us through the word, 
James says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally and upbraids not. We have this wisdom shared, and it's connected to a life. It's connected to satisfaction in this life, despite the anguish of the things going on about us. How terribly valuable is that? It shows us consequence of bad decisions. It also shows us the blessings of righteous decisions, good decisions in our life. Now, there's wisdom. There's real wisdom real wisdom. And I hope that you and I will be students of the book of Proverbs. God knows you and God loves you. God wants you to be in heaven with him forever. And I wonder if there's someone here who wants to obey the gospel and be forgiven of his or her sins. And Jesus said, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believes not shall be condemned. And you need to obey the gospel if you haven't. If you want to study about this some more, I'll be happy to sit with you and we'll talk through this and I'll show you, we'll talk about the scriptures and you can read it for yourself. If you are already a child of God, you've already obeyed the gospel, but today you need the prayers of the Christians, more strength, forgiveness. You need need to have the family praying for you. This is a good time to do that. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at collie at westhuntsville.org.